Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. I'm here with, I'm going to call you a real heavyweight, not a boxer, but in the brokerage world, Kevin Higgins is the first ever to achieve the vice chairman title with CBRE Las Vegas. As I know, you began your career in 1985 with Coldwell Banker Commercial, and then you opened the Voight office here in 2002. Anyone who knows you knows you are decorated as hell. I'll go through some of your stats and you can fact check any of this stuff. So you were at Voight for 12 years, and you were the number one producer in all of Voight for 11 out of those 12 years. What happened that that last one, <laughs> or the one of them? You just missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Voight was is a regional brokerage company. Um, started out, I think Voight Bob Voight's a developer, opened a brokerage regional company, mostly in Southern California. They had a Vegas office, which you opened. Correct. Correct. And then uh, number one producer for all of CBRE from 2017 to 2021. When did you go to CB from Voight? We went back in 15. Okay. So it took you a little time to warm up. But yeah. then once you were there, number one producer in all of CBRE Las Vegas and then top 10 producer in all of CBRE Americas from 2017 to 2021, which you think about a little old town like Las Vegas, that's not an easy feat, I imagine, from a production standpoint when you're comparing to the entire country. Very lucky. Um, Very more lucky. more stats. So you and I share something in common. You were NAOP president in 2003. I was NAOP president in 2022. You went on to be SIOR chapter president in 2004 and 2009. Your team has won the coveted NAOP Southern Nevada Industrial Broker or Brokerage Team of the Year 13 times from 2020 to 2022. And your team was the SIOR Southern Nevada top producer, industrial specialist from 2017 through 2022. How about that? That's a mouthful. <laughs> did, I, did I miss anything? <laughs> I'm going to stop. Did I That's miss anything? That's all good. That's, it. That's it. plenty. <laughs> all right. Well, let me just say officially, welcome to Takeaways, Kevin Higgins. Thanks. I appreciate you having me here. So those are my words. Tell us in your own words, who are you and what do you do? Um, as you said, Kevin Higgins and... Um, what I do is uh, I'm an advisor, a facilitator. Um, my title is commercial real estate broker, but uh, I think there's just so much more beneath that title that we do day to day that most people don't understand in Las Vegas specifically. And, uh, you know, with the market we have, it, it takes a little bit more than just being a a broker and hanging their sign out. Let's let's kind of get into use the opportunity to get into that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, to someone not in our industry, we're a real estate salesperson or sales agent or realtor. They would call us, but we're certainly not that. That is very specifically on the residential side. Uh, we use the term in our industry, broker and agent, kind of interchangeably. If, if you want to geek out, if someone wants to geek out on this, the term broker is a specific license designation from the division of real estate. There's broker, broker, salesperson, and sales agent. 
But once you get into the commercial arena, we just call each other brokers. I'm a broker, you're a broker. But you're talking about you're not just you're not just selling stuff. You're not just showing property and saying, here's the price, what do you think? You really kind of not kind of, you take it to a whole nother level. Uh, I, I'm hoping we do, and I and I, I think that's part of how we work and how my team prides itself is information gathering understanding the municipalities uh, we work and live in, um, understanding the personalities in those different uh, municipalities, our competitors and uh, who and what they are and what they're all about, uh, and the audience that we have, whether you're a landlord or you're a tenant or you're a buyer or you're a seller, institutional, regional, local, doesn't matter. Um, We try to explore, you know, being in their shoes and understanding what their world's like more so than just opening a door for them. Yeah. It's so, once you really understand it, it becomes very complex and for me, fun to geek out on and really unpack because really what, what do we do? Commercial. I do commercial, you do commercial, Mm. but that doesn't mean just, just that, you know, you're just talking about municipalities. It's not one, it's like four, I think here in Southern Nevada Mm. and the different personalities, the different bandwidths that they currently have as far as, who's there to check plans and whatnot and the different clients you're talking about. Not every developer is created equal. They have money that comes from different places with different objectives and understanding how to fit that developer with this project versus this developer with that project because it's not going to work for them in the way that they play. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a fan of our industry, if you, if you can't tell. Um, I, I started really with all of your stats and accolades to, to – to, Paint a picture of who you are. This, you know, doesn't just happen by accident. But I'm curious, after so many years and so many times up on the stage, is there an accolade or an accomplishment that maybe I did mention or didn't mention that is really meaningful for you? Uh, You know, honestly, I think the biggest accolade I have now, being almost 38 years in the business and being my age, is having the ability to have my son, my daughter, and my nephew all work for and with me. Um, I think that's the uh, the biggest kick for me, candidly, and mo- most meaningful, candidly. Um, uh, from a professional standpoint, uh, meaningful. Certainly that vice chairman's uh, recognition uh, is meaningful. Not that titles mean a lot to a lot of people, but it was – it was meaningful, uh, as you said in our little town uh, of Las Vegas. Quote, uh, you know, achieving that and being the first. What, what is that? What does that mean? Um, it, it's it's as we all are about. It's 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 earnings, uh, and in a specific time frame, and it's going up a ladder as you move through the titles, if you will. It's a top title that can be earned by in, within CB um, uh, by a, a broker as we call it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just not one year or two years, three years to consistent long-term uh, earnings there, which and, is... Yeah, on the one hand, no one cares about title. On the other hand, they don't just give titles away. So if you have it, it's because you earned it. It wasn't Cor- because you... Correct. Yeah. Correct. So congrats on that. Thanks. I appreciate and on, that. And on the kids. We're going to talk more about you and working with your kids and uh, observation, you know, there's another top industrial broker who's been on the podcast, Dean Wilmore, who works with his son and daughter. Mm-hmm. There's another top industrial broker, Dan Doherty, who has a nephew on his team. So I'm, I'm curious. We'll get into some of that as well. Sure. But before we do, I want to start at the beginning. 
I understand you're originally from Chicago. What brought you to Vegas? That's correct. Rizzy from a small suburb called Des Plaines. Um, and the reason we moved out west, and specifically Las Vegas, is um, I'm one of 10. Uh, wow. And my mom was having her 10th in 1969 and said to my dad, we've got to get somewhere warm. I'm <laughs> spending two hours to dress them to go play on the snow for 15 minutes. So efficiency. Uh, <laughs> and weather. Uh, yeah. I want somewhere warm. Uh, and luckily, they chose Las Vegas. So it, very lucky for all of us. Where okay. do you... Where are you in the pecking order? I have the middle child syndrome, number five. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And so how did your dad pick Las Vegas? You know, uh, he was an orthopedic surgeon, bone doctor, and he was looking out west and wanted a a smaller community uh, for us and and himself. And he was looking at, it came down to Palm Springs, believe it or not, or Las Vegas. And thank goodness he chose Las Vegas. Uh, He met up with a a gentleman who was an orthopedic practice here and uh, they hit it off and at the time he became like maybe the third orthopedic in town so it worked worked well for him and for us and are all your other siblings still here did they move out um we have two that that uh, explored out one as far as reno (laughs) (laughs) and the other is in baton rouge uh he's a, a physician in baton rouge with his wife where she's from so are you the one also that's not a physician? Um, I, yeah, I'm one of a few <laughs> that aren't, either doctors or lawyers, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. How does that go over? <laughs> uh, are they, they envious of you? Uh, I, I think we all uh, have been achievers, if you will, um, in each of our certain fields, whether it be attorneys, doctors, uh, CEOs of gaming companies, etc. Um, I, I think that was part of our DNA, if you will, a little bit. Um, but uh, um, we're all lucky. Let's put it that way. Good way to put it. You're married. Married, yes. It's been a wonderful. It's my wife watching this. <laughs> she will, I'm sure. <laughs> Thirty-five years. Going to wow. be thirty-six years to, together. Um, and, uh, yeah, have married, have three children. Uh, as I said earlier, my son, uh, Jake works, uh, with me. Uh, my daughter, Kelsey works with me and I have a younger son, my youngest, he is in Dallas and who knew he's working in commercial real estate business. Is he? <laughs> yes. he or who's he with? It's, uh, I'll get it wrong. Swearinger, uh, in uh, Dallas. Yeah. Cool. So not working with you, but still in the family business. So it's to speak. funny how that works out. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I'll share a couple stories and, and get your your reaction to yeah. them. So I get my license in 2004, just like everyone else in town at that time. I remember going to the grocery store at Smith's and the guy bagging groceries was giving tips on how to flip houses. <laughs> uh, I, you know, our our family business was construction, so real estate was always ancillary, and I got my license for um, the same reason as many other people, which is if we ever bought or sold anything, I just wanted the little cream off the top of the commission. And then after a few years, it was like, okay, if this is going to be a career, I have to take it seriously and make it a career. This isn't a part-time thing that you can really uh, excel at if you're just kind of sort of doing it. So that's when I partnered up with a childhood friend, Jared Katz. Mm -hmm. He and I we're at a Remax commercial franchise because we were brilliant. They had the high splits, low service kind of a thing. 
the worst thing that could have happened to us at the time was that we got another listing because we'd have to put our own money up to put signs on it and whatnot. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have much money. We didn't have any money, actually. Uh, there was a listing we got, he got, with a developer named Gary Rexrode. And Gary had to recapitalize and brought in a partner that said, well, listen, I also do real estate, so if I'm going to put my money in, I want the listing. So as a concession, they gave us some standing inventory at Lamb Technology mm. Center or Park. I forgot what it was called. Uh, which you had originally, I believe your team had that, if I'm not mistaken. And we got the last few buildings that ultimately, I think, I don't know if all of them ended up getting foreclosed, but we might have sold one at the end of it all. But um, we got then recruited to a company at the time called Prudential IPG, which was a regional, I would call it more of a regional company at the time. But what they had, um, the splits weren't as good, but if we got a listing, they would pay for the signs and all that, which was very, very nice. But another thing that happened is they sponsored this SIOR chapter. And they throw out an email from time to time saying, we've got two spots at the luncheon. Does anybody want to go? And I'm a young agent. I said, sure, I'm going. And going to that lunch, I believe, changed the trajectory of my career. And not only did I go that one time, any other time they said, hey, there's a opening, I would claw and um, get my way into that lunch. And that's when I first had exposure to you and several other of the top uh, I would say most active office and industrial agents. So tell us what is SIOR and then we'll pick it up from there. Uh, Society of Industrial and Office Realtors. Um, it's been around for uh, pre-World War II, since pre-World War II. Um, and uh, we formed that, oh gosh, now somewhere in the 90s uh, that we originally formed that group. Um it's a place where not only, as you said, the office industrial and now retail uh, brokers also can come together and uh, share best practices, if you will, but also have an audience, as we do on a monthly basis, uh, with the developers, with the, with the contractors, with the title people, with everyone associated down the line, lenders, et cetera, in commercial real estate in those three main groups. Um, I think it's candidly one of the best chapters in the country um, from a participation, uh, from a learning, and from, as you know, going to luncheons, a participation from others outside of just the brokers, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's turned out to be, I think, a, a, a really great asset for our com- commercial real estate industry here in town. So the format of the lunch is they have a sponsor, which is typically a developer that's talking about their project, or it could be somebody else, but they get they get airtime, essentially. They get to Correct. give a presentation. And then the lunch is ended with a roundtable discussion. Um, moderate, self-moderated. Whoever the president is at the time walks around with a microphone and says, Kevin, what's happening with industrial? And you riff on what you're seeing in real time. And then they go to the next person and the next person in an office. And if there's a lender in the room, okay, well, what are you seeing? And it's really just an amazing exchange of information. Correct. And so I'm a young agent. I don't know much about anything, although I think I have all the answers to everything. <laughs> and I go to this luncheon and I hear everyone talking in a structure of total inventory. doesn't matter if it's office or industrial. It's total inventory is X. Planned 
and under construction projects are this. Current vacancy is this. Current rates by submarket is this, this, and this, and this. Current demand is being driven by this. And you sit there and it's like all of the stuff they teach you in economics comes together in a, in a very condensed and um, powerful way. And that's where I learned, okay, if you, if you want to do this, this is, the th- this is the stuff you have to track. It's not just, I've got this listing here. Can I open the door and show it to you? Correct. Um, you know, we're going to talk about, I'm going to ask you specifically about reputation and how you think about it, but I'll mm-hmm. give you my impression as a young agent. Mm-hmm. There's Kevin Higgins. Oh my God. It might've been, I don't know, five months, eight months before I first like shook your hand as you you know, you kind of circulate around the room. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you. And I was like, Oh wow. I got to shake Kevin's hand. (laughs) Um, but that's really the environment there at SIOR. It's not a big room. It's a small room by design. Uh, I don't know how many current SIOR designees there are in the market. It's not many. Not sure. Yeah. But because the as SIOR designees come and participate, everyone else that is doing anything comes to participate. So that's that's one Kevin Higgins story that I have to share. The second one was I was at then after Prudential, we went to NAI Global. And they went through um, an evolution. The family that started NAI and owned NAI sold the enterprise to a special servicer called C3. Essentially, they sold it to private equity. And they looked at our market and said, why do we own an office? Because we're really a franchise model. So let's close Las Vegas. And it was one of these weird things where it was all orderly and known and we had time. You know, I think they told us in end of January, beginning of February, we're closing the office. Let's just pick you know, March 31st and that'll be the last day and everyone can take their stuff and go wherever they want to go. And one of the places that Jared and I were looking and were seriously considering was Voight. Mm. You were there at the time. And this is my version of the story. I'm going to ask you your sure, version of the sure. story also. There's always, uh, <laughs> it's always interesting. So the people that we were talking to were out of California. It wasn't Bob Voigt, the owner. Um, you were the broker of record in this office. Correct. And these people are in California and their job was to grow the company. And here they are talking to a couple of young agents. Though, so here's a chance for them to grow the Las Vegas office. And I was a bit of an anomaly for them because I wasn't this and I wasn't that. I wasn't a transactional broker that I could say, here's my transaction history. Here's my product type specialty. Where's my spot? Because I was, I was managing the NAI office at the time. Yeah. So I had that ability and some track record, but that wasn't exactly what I was. Um, but I'm also kind of a manager. So what do they do with me? So they were coming up with a structure that they thought that would be appealing for me. And part of it was we can make you the broker of record here or a sort of manager um, while you get back into brokerage. And that's what they're telling me. You called me one afternoon. Do you remember this or no? Vaguely. Vaguely. You (laughs) called me and you said, hi, I understand you're talking to the guys in California. And let me just give you my opinion on on, – what it works, what, what would work for me? Something to that effect. You said, um, I would welcome you to this office as a broker. I would not welcome you to this office as the broker of record. And at first, I go through the natural human reactions, like my ego has been poked. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? 
And then I sat with it for a bit and I'm like, you know what? I couldn't have appreciated that call more because I don't know what they were telling you or not telling you. And they're doing what they're, they think that they're supposed to be doing, which is growing the office and coming up with something for me that may or may not be favorable to you. But you picked up the phone, called me directly, and told me exactly where I stood with you. Mm. What are your thoughts? Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, first and foremost, one thing I am uh, – and. Uh, I'm candid. I'm very candid with everyone. It's you see what you get, and I'm consistent. I believe in that. Um, as far as the conversation is, is uh, at that point, I did not believe we were a big enough office with maybe three teams to need really a, a manager, if you will. I was a broker of record, and. Uh, um, my uh, assistant pretty much ran the operations as far as day-to-day keeping everything afloat. But from a management position, I did not believe we needed that. We needed more producers, more uh, agents, brokers, whatever you want to call them. Um, and that role wouldn't have been, I don't think, meaningful to anyone as, quote, a manager for that size and small of office. My thoughts. And there's a lesson here. So as the story played out, those two guys shortly after weren't with Voight anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas you and I would have been in the same office that they might have set up a contentious relationship because of what they were, they thought that they were supposed to be doing, which is help grow the office and figure out a structure for this kid that's not this and not that, but mm. stuff them over there. Um, yeah, you just picked up the phone and said, all right, here's here's how I feel. Okay. and. Let's say I would have gone to Void. It would have avoided you and I having to sit together in the same office day in and day out and having this kind of thing sitting there in between us like, he's here, I'm not happy about it, or vice versa. Uh, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I say my piece, and if it goes one way or the other, I've said my piece. And at that point, I, would, I wouldn't have, I would have kept my head down and keep working, <laughs> like I would always do. I want to ask you about NAOP, hmm? uh, being involved in NAOP, and specifically taking on the challenge of being president. Yeah. And, and from your perspective, why would you even do that? Why wouldn't you just say that's for somebody else? I'm going to focus on my deal and my uh, deals in my business. Um, one uh, again, I was there when the chapter formed. Um, I thought it was NAOP was there first before SIOR and was pivotal for us to, in the brokerage industry, to join the club, if you will, uh, with the uh, um, developers and the contractors and the people who, quote, ran the business, if you will, end of it, Um, and maybe who looked at brokers then uh, as, um, you know, maybe a fifth wheel, to the process, interesting um, to it, and I, uh, I really enjoyed getting to know those people who were the larger developers, mid-sized developers, etc. In town, uh, and architects, engineers, etc. Where I wouldn't have met those just, you know, one-off here and there. Um, I felt so. Uh, candidly good about the relationship and what 
NAOP had done for me. Um, I had that I served on the board and saw the function and and how candidly um, at that point I don't believe anyone who was a broker was had been a president, um, but I thought that my peers, if you will, in the industry, whether they were developers or contractors, architects, engineers, whoever was at the board table, respected me enough to say, yeah, you could handle this position. I think you bring something to the table as a broker, which may not have been there five, 10 years earlier. Um, But it was more of just giving back because this is not just what I do. It's who I am and and it's what makes me go. Um, and I thought, again, at that point, it would, I could give something and hopefully leave it better than it was at the time. You know, Katrina Bruce has a company called Alternative Management, and she mm-hmm. manages a lot of these real estate associations like NAOP mm-hmm. and SIOR and, and a few others. Uh, she sees things behind the curtain in a way, and she sees them, she has seen them for over a 33-year period. Right. So her perspective to me is in, incredibly fascinating. One thing she once said about you and Garrett is that not just have you guys been involved and are involved, you require involvement from your team. Correct. Um, as I said, I think it's it, it was and continues to be a pivotal part of who we are and what we do in our industry. Um, and helping agents, brokers like us understand what an architect really does, what an engineer really does, what the difference between a civil and mechanical engineer is, um, uh, and and contractors, general contractors, subcontractors, etc. What they all do is making this puzzle come together. So invaluable there. Two, again, coming across the aisle and just being able to talk to them at a meeting or sitting at that one table at lunch, and you didn't know them before you started the meeting, um, and you walk away with a relationship, and you build on that relationship. So, again, I think the more connectivity with our industry, the better we are as brokers. And you're saying, so do I understand that right? Currently, I would describe the dynamic within our community is that brokers are revered by the developers they are wined and dined they are they are the ones that bring them opportunities you're saying there was a time when the brokers were sort of fifth fifth wheel fifth wheel yeah 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 i i i do think so um you know this was we were a young uh, town um a lot of quasi commercial resi uh agents if you will uh, doing a little bit of commercial part-time when they could get the opportunity, et cetera, and uh, weren't part of the club, if you will. And hmm. I, I, I think today, uh, you're absolutely right, I th- and I think it's been through associations like NAOP and SOR that they see the value. Every one of those fields see the value of our input. You still have some that don't, but mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> but but I think they understand that we bring some value to the game, and we bring our piece of the puzzle that makes this thing happen. Some of us a little bit more than others, but whatever. Yeah, that's true with anything, though. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, 
All right, let's pivot a bit more. So this show is called Takeaways, and it's about takeaways from people who have influenced me, and you've been one of those people in my career. So I want to ask you, what has been the single most influential thing or event in your life that has shaped you the most? I had to think about this, uh, again, because I've been so lucky uh, and and been doing it so long, sometimes you forget. But I think I drill it down to, uh, candidly, my parents, my mother and father. Um, uh, two people uh, that both um, were hard workers. Uh, my dad was working at the Coke factory at night while he was going to a bottling factory uh, while he was going through med school in the 50s. And my mom was a dental hygienist. They both had college educations uh, oh. and, and you know, wanted more than that last generation. Um, in my family, education was very important to my parents. Not all of us succeeded as others did <laughs> uh, with, a, with a law degree or, or a, an MBA or a, or a doctorate degree, but, but very important. it was very important to them. And, uh, and so was the understanding that you get out what you put in. And don't expect it to be given to you just because you showed up. It takes more than that. Uh, I, I think that that was the probably the the how how did they drill that part into you that that don't expect it just because you showed up? Oh, I think it was you know uh, having to them having to raise ten kids all at once, mm-hmm. and two you having to do your part, if you will, within that. 10-person body. No one was left to say, hey, you hang out while he or she does this. Everyone had uh, um, a, quote, job at home. Everyone had a responsibility as they went through uh, the ages there. And, you know, whether it was driving your younger siblings to and from games to school, et cetera, whatever it might be, to cleaning, to outside, uh, you know, landscape, mowing, et cetera, um, we always had a job since I was 11, had a summer job, um, which, again, I think was instilling in us that, again, I can get you the education. I can take you so far, but you've got to take yourself after that. So look at what these opportunities are. You mentioned construction. I worked construction during the summers uh, as a scab mm-hmm. labor. I worked at the Caesars Palace pool. I worked as a garbage man. Uh, and I also worked in the hospitals as garbage a, man, like on the truck, kind on of on the truck. Yep, I was eighteen. Uh, yep, summer job. And the hospitals, you said hospitals. I worked in the recovery room uh, as an orderly, and uh, uh, I did that for a couple summers, uh, trying to look at think think about being a doctor, but uh, that <laughs> didn't happen. But uh, so I think the the it was instilled in us of. You can make your world. Don't wait for someone else to make it. And be the best you can at it, candidly, when you're doing it. Because there's no sense going in half, you know, half So how? So then that part, not don't just, you know, don't expect anything. You got to make your own way. But when you make your way, be the best at it possible. How mm-hmm. do they either model that or instill that in you and your siblings? Um, uh, I think that that... One, um, my mom in the 50s being, one, a college graduate as a woman, and two, uh, being a professional as, as mm-hmm. at that point, 
a dental hygienist and helping the family unit financially. So um, she worked while she was. She worked, yeah. I assumed when you said ten kids, she was no. There was not she, she had to work through wow. those. Uh, there, there became probably a tipping point for her when she had to stay full time at home, but um, certainly not in those early years. Um, and my dad, uh, you know, I would like to think that I could say that he was at the top of his pre- profession in Las Vegas, um, uh, team doctor for UNLV for almost forty years, etc. And so I, I you know, uh, to us that was an example of hard work, uh, um, you know, and and what it could be gotten from that, not only professionally, but personally. Very cool. So let's jump into the takeaways portion of this. You graduated from USC. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the Harvard of the West, which is UNLV, but that's fine. You, USC, <laughs> you have a degree in real estate and finance. And we talked at the beginning, uh, you, you got a job at Coldwell Banker Commercial. So tell tell me about your commercial real estate origin story. Sure, sure. As I said, I I, I had uh, aspirations on following my dad's footsteps, um, uh, and when I went to USC, um, I found out I liked having fun more than I did studying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so uh, USC had this really great, uh, um, fairly new real estate program. Real estate finance, real estate law, appraisal, and I, it was we had people like ourselves teaching real life stories, not out of a book. Hmm. Uh, developers got, and it was it was great. It was you you were drawn to it uh, again, not from a book, but from day to day live happenings on what's going on. Um, so one, I, I was intrigued at that uh, and thought that I would push back med school and take physics and chemistry after I graduated. Um, and when I graduated, uh, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was number 999 because our class had a thousand in it. Um, as far as, you're, you're, as, far as my ranking. Yes. Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> no, I don't remember. <laughs> it, it, it was, it, it was a fun time and I graduated and, uh, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Like I said, I thought maybe I'll, Get a job for a couple of years while I'm taking sideline physics, chemistry, whatever, and then go to med school. And uh, I had this real estate background, was talking to actually an older sibling of mine, uh, five years older. And she goes, "This I know this guy. He's working in uh, L.A., uh, Cobalt Banker Commercial, and he's doing real well financially. And, you know, they have a training program, this and that. And I said, well, great. I'm interviewing in Las Vegas. And at that time... 1984, pushing into a little 85, there really was only one, um, I'll call it brand or national, which was Cobalt Banker Commercial. I interviewed with, I think even Jack Matthews uh, at the time, the okay. quasi-commercial uh, resi. Um, I interviewed with Realty Holdings. Uh, Jerry Mack mm-hmm. uh, interviewed me, quote. Wow. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, the reason it came down to, uh, Cobalt Banker was two things. One, uh, Jerry said he didn't have a training program and he wasn't going to (laughs) pay someone to learn. Here's a phone book and go. Uh, and I didn't believe Jack Matthews at the time was, you know, really, uh, where I wanted to go as far as just a, a, a focus, if you will. 
And at that time, CB had an internship and it paid. I think it was $1,200 a month, I think, uh, at the time. it's um, a lot of money back hey, then. Hey, uh, and uh, and uh, a one-year, they call it a training program at the time. So um, uh, the choice was, to me, fairly easy at the time. Go and, get trained and pay to get trained. Yeah. That was the choice. Yeah. Uh, Coldwell Banker Commercial... There's still Coldwell Banker out there. It's more to me. It's more of a residential brand. But is that the the, the ver, that version of Coldwell Banker Commercial? Is that what eventually became CBRE, or what's the? Uh, that's correct. <clears throat> they were Coldwell Bank Commercial, and again, th- people might have thought there was residential. There was no residential in there. It was just like every other brand that still is, whether it's office, industrial, retail, apartments, land. Um, that was the focus. Is we did not sell homes, um, and at that time also. We were suit and tie, uh, and uh, the rest of the world was still in jeans and boots, pretty much, uh, candidly. Hmm. Um, so there was a, it was stepping apart um, and and making it more of a profession than, as you said, maybe a part time thing. Um, uh, so that that really was uh, the emphasis of the uh, of getting involved there. Do you remember um, who you interviewed with? Uh, I interviewed with Don Hayes, a guy named Don Hayes. He was the manager uh, uh, then for a number of years at Cobalt Banker. Yeah. And then who who was there at that operation that would still be around now or names that we would know? Um, I worked uh, with and for Doug Albright and a guy named Perry Michelli um, at that time. It was the two of them. That was an anomaly. There weren't really teams even uh, at that time. Uh, the two of them being together, they had recently joined up, I think maybe two years earlier. Uh, but usually it was just people that were solo. Um, uh, Carl Sims uh, was there at the time. I think Carl might still be around. He is, um, I think, at Cushman currently, yeah. multifamily. Yeah. Um, uh, so Doug and Perry were clearly industrial. They were industrial. Uh, Carl, Carl was doing was a, multifamily. A multifamily. Um, and then Brad and Randy, uh, uh, Brad uh, and Randy were the uh, 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 are the junior guys or just runners, if you will, trainees uh, uh, for an office. On office. Yeah. yeah, they're still around. Yeah. Um, at the start, those were probably the, the the names that were there then, and then a couple of the people followed shortly thereafter. They're still around. So, yeah. what was year one like? Um, year one. Was it really a training program? It was more of, and you and I spoke about this before, indentured servitude. Um, and uh, by that I mean, it in those days, there was no faxes, no emails. Uh, computer was more of a paperweight. If it was there, cell phones <laughs> did, really did not exist, uh, except for the ones that you see almost like in the old shows with the army, with the slinging with, on the shoulder and you know, come in. Um we didn't have all those. So putting a LOI together, lease together, it was like, go take this here, go deliver this here, et cetera. Um, so uh, offers were presented in person. In person like and just, physically. Yeah. Uh, yes. The, 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 you had physical uh, documents and uh, a big thing was uh, a fax machine or FedEx was, you know, my gosh. Revolutionary. Yes. Dean Wilmore talked about that once. Where yeah. Once the fax machine it like literally revolutionized yeah, we worked off microfish yeah. at the time. Uh, you know, it was it was crazy, uh, but it worked because no one else had any advantage over the other guy either. Then, 
But um, uh, the the and uh, I laugh a little bit about it, but but I would say that Doug Albright certainly um, uh, would take me out on showings uh, occasionally with him, and and uh, I at least got out of the office a little bit there. Um, I don't know that there the thought was to try to work towards a team, um, but you know after. Uh, after a time, after that year, it became quite evident that that team wasn't happening, if you will. Uh, and uh, and so, so I went off so on my like, own. So like Doug and Perry had this idea, we're going to form a team. They're going to bring on a trainee, and eventually after the year of training, you would be a junior on the team, so to speak. But no, I think their, their, their thought was we've got a trainee and someone who will go run errands for us. Um, for the most part, again, except for I think Doug had much a little bit more input uh, as to wanting to show me what an industrial building is and what a warehouse and some vernacular, um, and, and and I like him for that. And but I think my thought was okay. Let's you know, hey, I've proven myself. We should get things going. And it was more of a, a trial run. Okay, we'll see how that goes. But I don't think they had really ever intention of growing the yeah, team, and and at a certain point, it was like, guys, this is not working out for me. Um, I, I I'm going to go off and do my. So thing. I've seen this plenty over the years, and working with agents as a quote unquote manager, where they they see someone else, they formed a team, and that's how you do it, and they don't realize that that's also a skill, and it takes work, and expectations need to be communicated on both sides, and some serious planning. Also, not just we're going to bring them on, and they're going to take our grunt work. It also takes some financial planning. At what point does it make sense to bring somebody else on based on the current business you have, the business you expect to get? So it sounds like all that still existed back then as yes, well. Yes, yes, the dynamics. And, and again, it was new. To, and and then for someone like you, this is often missed by agents who are looking to grow their team. The person on the other side of the table has needs and aspirations. And if you don't uncover them, it's not going to last very long. So what did you want? I mean, you're clearly not uh, a lazy person that's just kind of waiting around for a handout. You were probably back then eager, had a huge desire, huge capability. I mean, USC grad after all, right? <laughs> uh, and they did. They either didn't want to see or failed to see that we've got to give this guy some runway and, and some opportunity. Um, I, I think by then they had hired another assistant and that person, uh, you know, could fill that role uh, and weren't sure if they wanted to split monies, if you okay. will. And and certainly so I did they were looking for an assistant, not another agent I on the team so. to take some of the pie. I think so at that at that time. And again, uh, again, teams were... This has still happened. It happens all the time today. This, this but, but, it, it, you know, and it is hard, but teams were not the norm then. It Which just is also was. interesting. Yeah, they were not the norm. My understanding of the business is, you kind of touched on it earlier, there was the category of of real estate and you did real estate. You have a license, you do real estate. Maybe some people gravitated towards houses and some towards commercial, but real estate was real estate. Everyone did everything. There wasn't a, such a thing as specialty product types or otherwise it was, I'm a generalist. And maybe it was the times, uh, the deal velocity, you know, commercial, maybe you could handle everything under the commercial umbrella. But you're also a lone wolf. Everyone's a lone wolf agent. And then the industry has evolved into specialties for sure and teams as well right now if you go and pitch with any institutional owner of any kind if it's kevin higgins by himself versus kevin higgins team you're you have no shot 
by yourself. And so, because that's what the expectation is of, of the industry. So lone wolves have become teams. Generalists have become specialists. Yes. And I, that's the current, I believe, state. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. So I've heard Dan Doherty use this term before, and you use this term, mm-hmm. indentured servitude. Mm-hmm. And I always just thought that was the, the terms that you guys used back then. It was like a, a relic from <laughs> times past, but it turns out you guys use it really in jest. It wasn't. Yeah, yes. It's not like you signed up and the manager was saying, and Don's like, okay, you're gonna. This is a year of indentured servitude. <laughs> no, no. I literally thought that's what when you guys have used that term, that's what it was. No, we 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 jokingly laugh at about the same thing. Uh, Dan literally ran for the same team, and the day he got off his training program, he came and sat next to me. So he was after you. <laughs> yeah, yes, he was. I'm gonna say four or five years after me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He tells a story of how I think he was working at Fridays, and couple guys came in suit and tie talked about commercial real estate um then he got into commercial real estate told all of his buddies getting into commercial real estate and they're like oh big shot and they all walked into the bank one day and he's standing there with the senior guy standing in front of him and his job was to hold that phone over his shoulder and every time the his senior agent would take a step forward because the line's moving. He would have to take a step forward because the cord really so needed long. to stay in, in, in proximity. And all of his friends saw him, and they're like, "Ah, there's Dan, the big shot real estate guy." <laughs> exactly right. So that's indentured. That's servitude. a true. That's a true story. That is a true story. <laughs> all right. So year one, yep. you got some exposure. I imagine you're in the your foot's in the door, so to speak. And now they let you be an agent on your own. How does that work? You're um, still getting paid, or you're not getting paid? No, anymore? not getting paid. Uh, uh, it was uh, purely commissions uh, after your internship, and um, I set expectations for myself um, while, while I, when I started this. Of okay, after my first year, uh, if I don't make X, I'm not going to stay in the business. And if uh, and I said year one and year two, I set my expectations. Uh, for that. And it was all commissions at the time. Um, so, and I was a lone wolf and I was okay you, with that. Do you remember the amount you set for yourself year one? I don't. It was probably a hundred grand at the time. I mean, you either hit it or got close because you're still. I got, uh, uh, no, well, let's put it this way. I was close enough to stay. I'm sticking around. Uh, and, uh, and, the the aspirations of uh, an MD after my name faded away. <laughs> Got it. How long do you think before you had mentally said, "All right, this is my profession. Um, I feel like I have a handle on things, and I have a belief that this is financially feasible for me." Um, I don't think it was too long into that year or. So maybe a little longer after the training, uh, I remember my dad had a job interview for me at Quantico, the FBI. Uh, and I, at that time, because we were visiting Washington, D.C., and I told him, Dad, I already have a job. I'm good. I'm not going to the interview. But he was still at that time, mm-hmm. what was I, maybe 24, 25, somewhere in that was, and still trying to find me a job. And that's what real estate meant to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I was going, no, I'm good. So I, I think pretty early because I was confident. It was just myself. And I was, 
achieving my own goals uh, that I set for myself. So felt good about it. And so that's mid 80s, getting into the late 80s. Mm. Um, you know, on your resume, there's a a point that you make that you went to Voight in 2002. So mm-hmm. what happened between the mid 80s to 2002? Were you a Coldwell Banker the whole time? Yeah, I was there the whole time. And uh, Las Vegas, when I started, was maybe industrially maybe 10 million feet and primarily two acres at a time and small you know, users and a couple of multi-tenant buildings. But those were built by local guys, mm-hmm. you know, groups of guys um, that put some money together. And uh, over time, we, we started to grow to larger as a community grew, grew larger, more buildings, et cetera, so more land, et cetera. And I think that it was more of just an evolution that I was going through of, okay, I'm selling land, I'm helping develop buildings, I'm leasing them out, uh, et cetera. And it got to a point where Bob Voigt, who was a client at the time, kept bugging me. Why don't you come to work for me? And I said, no, no, I'm good here. And I got fed up at one point because one developer who it was like, here's the land. This is the property you should, what product you should build. Here's the height, dimensions, doors, et cetera. Percentage of office. And when he asked me the color of uh, the linoleum on the restroom floor, I had it. It's like, I got, I don't have ownership in this. I should get ownership in everything I'm doing. And if I'm doing all, all of this, you know, it's not just buying and selling or leasing mm-hmm. or whatever. It's literally walking through the whole process. And um, so I said, Bob, well, okay, if I, if I go, I need this, this, and this, and this. And he goes, okay, <laughs> called my bluff. So I went to work for Bob. Uh, and I not only did I maintain my brokerage as I had been at Cobalt Banker, um, but I developed small stuff, syndicated small stuff. Uh, with Bob as your partner nope, or others? Just, uh, nope, Bob had nothing to do with it. It was just uh, he allowed me to do that while I could do my what I call my day job, which didn't interfere with my clients. Whereas Coldwell Banker Commercial historically did not allow that of their no. of their agents. That's correct. That's correct. Right. And, and this was the opportunity to do that. So... I did some developments uh, with others uh, and uh, industrial developments and land deals, et cetera. I think it was the best education I got. I was never so paper poor um, and so uh, so much at risk. Um, but it was a stepping stone in not only in, in understanding what the development business is all about. I've been in the shoes. I've been mm-hmm. there. I put my own money at risk what it takes to deal with banks, lenders, <laughs> equity, <laughs> partners, et cetera, um, contractors, uh, you name it, engineers, the whole gamut. So for me, it was it was great. And it was lucky timing. In the early 2000s, uh, it, was, it was... Yeah, everything yeah. ran after that. Right, exactly right. When did you start a team? You were a lone wolf for a while. When did that start happening for you? Um. As I said, Dan came, uh, you know, uh, to sit by me. We weren't a team officially, but we worked on some things together. Um, And I I would say shortly, you know, somewhere within, I don't know, 10 10 years in the business, 
uh, maybe an official assistant and one partner, if you will, or junior partner, if you will. Um, and uh, when I left Voight, I had that. I had a junior partner and uh, an assistant. And when I left, I'm sorry, when I left Cobalt Banker. Okay. Yeah. Was that Garrett or nope. was that somebody else? No, uh, Garrett came around right about that time. Um, he saw me in a write-up in the, the local paper, RJ, of Nevadans at work. And it said I went to Gorman to high school, Bishop mm-hmm. Gorman High School, and I went to USC. And he called me up and said, hey, wonder if you've got an internship. I'm uh, going to be junior and senior year at USC. And I went to Gorman and, you know, and I said, no, I don't have an apprenticeship planned or whatever. I said, why don't you come down and see me? Um, and we talked and I said, you got a job. Hang out here for the summer and learn. And, uh, did you pay him? Um, I think I paid him something. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure I did. You have to ask him <laughs> for sure. Um, and, but I, at the end of it, when he was leaving back for school, I said, if you got a, if, if, if when you graduate, you want a job, you got one here. If you want to come back and, and work with me. What'd you have him do that summer? Um, just almost shadow me, if you will. Just kind of be around. Uh, Be around me, understand it, uh, you know, helping out on some of the mundane stuff too, to see what the back of the house is, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Just uh, information gathering, putting things together, but also let's go, let's walk, let's talk, um, let's go lunch, let's talk about our business, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And that still still goes on today after, what, it's been 19 years almost. Um, but, uh, But he came back. I think he's. I think he still to this day uh, gets on me because he had like maybe five days between when he graduated and when when we, he started working for me. But uh, yeah, he's been with me a quite a long time, quite a long time. And so much so that now you guys identify as the Higgins Toft team. That's correct. So it's not like he's your junior anymore. I mean, he's. Oh God, no, 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 yeah. absolutely not. Yeah. So he came on around Void. That's so it was really is you and him. I know you had a few people sort of come on and off a little bit. Correct here and there. When you went from Void to CBRE, mm-hmm. it seems like that's when you double down on a team, forming a team, and that's when your family started joining you. Right. Uh, I, I would say Garrett and I, when we were at Voight, we always had a a, a third uh, a, a junior partner, if you will. Um, and that's where I started with my first nephew, Zach, working for okay. me, was at Voight. I think it was in 11. Okay. In the heat of the uh, the fun stuff. <laughs> um so we had the, the three of us if you will and Eric Larkin worked for us mm-hmm. a little bit and uh and uh, and so when we left over to uh and made the conscious decision to go back to Cobalt Banker, uh, sorry, CBRE. <laughs> um it was Zach, myself, Garrett, and an assistant uh, that was with us there. Okay. Um, the world had changed, or we we thought it was changing, and this was in 15. And we talked to all the other groups uh, to see what was going on within their houses uh, as far as moving, uh, whether it was a Cushman or Collier's, et cetera. And I had no animosity towards Cobalt Banker when I left. It was just a learning curve. Uh, and I thought it was a great place for what I learned. And 
uh, we looked at it as a, an opportunity for us to, at that point time, the four of us to grow and continue on. Um, it was shortly after that when we moved um, that I'm going to say it was maybe 16 that uh, Sean's there and then my son Jake came over. So they've been around eight plus years. Uh, and then more recently and during COVID, uh, my daughter started. That's been, gosh, almost almost three years ago now. Yeah. Crazy. And all but your daughter are SIORs. That's Is correct. That right? That's so correct. again, they're not, it's not like your kids are there and they're kind of helping push paper. They are all brokers in their own right. Because uh, you can't get the SIOR designation unless you earn it. It's... Um, as far as I understand it, there's a production threshold that's pretty high, something like four or five hundred thousand dollars a year that you have to earn in gross commissions. Not just one year; you have to do it. It's either three out of five years or four out of five years. So there's there has to be a consistency there. There's uh, classes you have to take, ranging from financial, I think, analysis, construction. So it's it's something you really have to. You know, it's not a walk-on kind of a thing. Correct, and it again, takes years. Yeah, no, again, uh, uh, and you could ask my son and my partner Garrett uh, this that again I'm very candid and whether you're my son working with me or my daughter I'm very candid uh, because it's people's livelihoods that are on the line here and I've got a partner uh, uh, in Garrett I've got junior partners that would say well just because they're related to you if they're not doing the work you know that's costing Mm -hmm. me money Um, so and experience etc so uh, th- they they understand what it takes and that they can't rely on me as a gift. <laughs> and it's coming back kind of full circle with what your parents instilled in you. Yeah. You're just because just you showed up doesn't mean you're going to get anything. That's right. That's right. So let's go a little bit further. I'm curious in the team dynamic. Yeah. You've got you, Garrett, your son, Jake, Kelsey, your nephew. Um. The ethos of the team, uh, we're talking a little bit about the team dynamics and some of the expectation, but elaborate more on that, the environment. Um, well, well, when when I learned that, that uh, one year, in my opinion, of training in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion, was not enough if you were looking to set up a long-term relationship with someone. If you were utilizing them and it was just a, hey, I'll give you a year and then you move on, I'm mm-hmm. get another one. Okay. But if you truly wanted to set something up, we set up a two-year training program that was, hey, here it is. First year, you learn the vernacular. You learn really what we do. Second year, you can go out and maybe put some of that to work really, really. Uh, and then after that, you're part of the team. Every dollar we throw in, everyone gets a piece of that at the end of the day. And it's not deal by deal. It's Everything. We're all in on everything. So that that person, that individual that is hired, they understand if they do well and achieve, they've got a future ahead of them. And so that's how the dynamic was done with everyone that's part of my team, uh, our team. And, and it wasn't an overnight success. It wasn't an overnight, you know, uh, uh, brilliancy. It was, uh, it was, we wanted someone that would stick around. We wanted someone that understood the business and we wanted someone that wasn't 
grasping at deals. Uh, I call it white elephant hunting just to make money because they weren't bringing in any money in. It's like, no, you're okay for two years. And then you're part of the team. And then you move up a ladder. Then you have expectations to produce yourself. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And for the team. Yeah. And in working with people, you know, typical onboarding any company, there's a process. Some are better than others. uh, But there's always uh, course corrections. Mm -hmm. How does that work with you if you have to sit down with one of your kids and and reset expectations? Um, Again, I, I think... Like I said, I'm very candid about it, and and um, I would not ask them to do anything that I haven't and still not uh, wouldn't do right now. Meaning, show up, work hard, <laughs> and uh, um, and work smart. Pick a phone up. <laughs> <laughs> Is that hard uh, to I, pick the phone up? Uh, I think a lot of people uh, in today's world. It's easier to do it on this, click mm-hmm. this, or email, or you know whatever. But sometimes the personal touch isn't there, which I'm a big believer in, uh, candidly. And and I think people can hear in your voice a lot of other things than just what you're saying. <laughs> they can really uh, uh, appreciate how you're saying it and emphasis on what you're saying rather than just an email or a text or whatever. Uh, I also think it's good human contact, candidly, um, to get to know people. Uh, so anyways, I, I, I don't have a problem uh, discussing them. We have yearly updates about what we're doing. If someone's uh, a trainee, they have quarterly updates and progression on how they're doing. Um, Whereas by you're providing them feedback on, on where they're at yeah. or vice versa? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess they can ask, give us feedback. <laughs> I guess so. But but uh, but it's more so from uh, from the standpoint of uh, giving them feedback on do a little more, do a little less, do it this way, do it that way, etc. Um, we're kind of honest. I want to stay on it, but yeah. if you could contrast how you got into the business versus you just brought several people into the business, what's the same? What's different? Um, well. Like I said, the nuance of the team was really not there. I mean, there was a bunch we talked about, a mm-hmm. bunch of lone wolves, if you will. Back when you started. Back when, we okay. start, back when I started. So th- that's totally different, one. Um, two, the, the image of the real estate broker has totally changed in that time frame of almost 40 years. Um, uh, as as someone sought after, again, not only just, hey, lease this, but, you know, you're getting someone in New York calling you and saying, I need to understand the market. I need to understand the capital market. I need to understand the dynamics of the development industry there. You have to be a jack of all trades, if you will, Mm -hmm. and really know the business. Um, That's changed of, 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 I'm not just a leasing broker or I'm not just a sales broker. I'm a advisor, a fiduciary, a facilitator. Uh, 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 I'm, uh, I'm a introduction uh, to uh, doors and windows that people can walk through and help process a deal, if you will. Um, it's knowledge. It's knowledge about everything Development, 
That's our world. You know what comes to mind? I was a, I am a big fan of UFC. I have been a big fan ever since the first UFCs before the Fertitas owned mm-hmm. it. And this thing started as uh, a contest to see which fighting style was the best. So you had a guy that was a boxer with one boxing glove on to protect his jab hand, but no glove on his right hand so he can actually knock the guy out versus a guy that was a jujitsu master or a karate expert versus a judo fighter. Dang. And it's similar to golf, I guess. And as, as the sport has evolved, you can't just be single disciplinary. Now it's called mixed martial arts for a reason. Right, right, right. You have to know how to strike. You have to know how to grapple. You have to know how to submit and defend submissions, all of that. And it feels like if we were to contrast our industry to any other thing, it, it could be that. That's now, like fair. your kids and anyone coming into the industry and anyone successful now can't just be a one-trick pony, so to speak. They really have to be a mixed martial artist and understand the whole process A to Z and be be excellent at it. Absolutely. No, you you have to have something that to give people, you have to have something that they want to add value because anyone can open up a door or look up loop net. Yeah. Uh, You really have to um, have to add value to the deal and the proposition or candidly, Without you, the deal wouldn't happen. And I think that all of those attributes over time that you can master, if you will, um, help you in the big picture of, of what we do. So those are like the real estate specific things. The question I want to ask you is what does it take to become a consistent top producer? I got all that on the real estate side. It's yep. really be an expert and go deep in your, in your lane, but what else is there that, what does it take? Um, I think first and foremost, you got to love what you're doing. Um, and where you have fun at it and you're learning along the way, because I've got to tell you, we all don't have fun every day, but I feel real lucky getting up every day and doing what I'm doing for the last 38 years. And and in some ways being like, wow, you know, and I think a testament to that is I brought my kids and my nephews into the business Mm -hmm. um, because I was lucky enough uh, to be involved in it. And so lucky that I thought, you know what, this could be something that would be good for you as a profession as a profession and a professional. Um, so I, I think first and foremost, you got to love what you're doing. Secondly, uh, I have to think that you have to set your expectations up, not go, as I call it, elephant hunting day one. Make a plan for yourself. Don't look at this today or tomorrow. Look at this. What, what do I want to be in three years, five years, 10 years? Look at the big picture. What do I want to be other than a real estate broker? What do I want to be the best at in that? Mm-hmm. Is it, am I best at doing land? Am I best at doing development? Am I best at putting people together? What, what's my best attribute that I can give to the process, if you will? Um, uh, and the other thing is, and I think this is, Candidly, more important than ever now and is probably 80, 90% of, of it is just showing up. 
Um, um, and what I mean showing up is, uh, <laughs> and the young people will kill me for this, is, is, is actually showing up. <laughs> um, uh, See, it, this is funny because it seems like it's like, where's Kevin going with this? This is a basic thing, but. It, it, it's, it's physically showing up and especially in, because, uh, hey, we all learned that we can work out of our house and do the Zoom and et cetera. But I don't believe, especially working as a team, but during that time, we had them all come over to my house for half the day. It's still, the connectivity wasn't there because you were still, it just wasn't right. I think in our business, two and two make five. Mm-hmm. And timing's everything. And if I find something out, hey, Susie over here uh, just sold this and she wants to get rid of that. And you aren't right by my side after I got the phone with that. What do I need to do? Well, I need to pick up the phone and talk to you and find out where yeah, you are. It's just not going to happen because you're on to the next thing. Yeah, and then all the phone rings and whatever or something goes on my email. So there is this mysterious combustion of synergy that occurs in our industry. There, there's no question about it. And and more so than ever, and I think it was seen over the last couple of years, timing and information and what you do with that mm. is everything. Um, and so I, I think showing up in the office, I also am, am a big believer is um, put your time in because we have people that, and, and, and lead by example, meaning I'll be first in, I'll be last out. And it just isn't the hours I'm putting in, but this is what I do. And it makes me a better professional. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also is not that I'm just in this for the, the, the quick commission. And then I go take a vacation or the quick commission and I go get a new car or the quick commission. That that's, that's not what we do. That's not, mm-hmm. th- that that's an instantaneous gratification and look for the long-term gratification on this whole thing. My take. I want to talk, talk about reputation and how you think about mm. your reputation. You've said repeatedly, you're just candid and that's mm. who you are. And mm. you said you're, you're candid and you're consistent. Now as the young kid in that SIOR luncheon for the first time, everyone is intimidating. Um, the intimidation plus the candor can come off as arrogance. Mm. Do you ever get accused of being arrogant? Um, you know, I, I think people might think that I might be arrogant because they don't know me. And at some level, and you mentioned it, um, I'll talk to everybody, but sometimes, uh, especially younger people or people who are shy about coming up, it's like, I don't know you want to talk to me. I can't tell you want to talk to me if you don't come up and approach me and say, hi, if you do, it's great. Hi, here it is. No problem. It's not I'm going to shoo you away um, or, or I don't have time for you. But what I don't know, I guess, may hurt me in that regard. Um, I hope to think that that I may be intimidating to some people, but I hope to think that I'm uh, – uh, when people look at me as – I'm a uh, professional and, and, and I'm honest and, and as I said, candid, um, I might not tell you what you want to hear, but I'm going to tell you whether mm-hmm. it's an agent, other agent, or the people I work for, the buyer, the seller, whatever, um, consistency at the end of the day. 
uh, and to me, uh, again, might it come off as arrogant? Certainly might. Um, um, I don't fear the fact that I, of what I don't know. Say, uh, say more about that. Uh, um, I'm pretty confident that I am a professional in my industry and that I have a pretty good grasp. If you were to ask me about the various aspects of our industry that I have a handle on it. And if you were to say, Kevin land X or building Y, um, uh, I would have a pretty good handle it or working with your municipality. What do you think here? There Clark mm-hmm. County Henderson that I have a good handle on it. So I, I know my business. If that's arrogance, then maybe it comes off as arrogant, but I try to be a professional at all things. Um, How and, else? And timely, you, if you will. That's fair. How else do you think about reputation for yourself, for this industry, for the city? Um, I, we're in a very small bubble. Very small. Not only just Las Vegas, but our industry within Las Vegas is a very small bubble, as you know. Everyone knows each other. And uh, again, we all have various reputations or whatever. Um, uh, some good, some bad, some funny. Um, but but uh, it's a small town. And I look at this that if you take a wrong step and it's purpose, purposely done, people will know. Um, and at the end of the day, people who might have uh, introduced me to a listing or a developer or a tenant, if I take that wrong step purposely, they might not do that again. They might not say, hey, you should talk to Kevin and his team if I take the shortcut, if I uh, am too arrogant, if I... uh, if I don't deliver on what I promise. So if that makes sense. So. Yeah. I have an ending question on advice you would give some folks before I ask you those or anything else that you want to talk about that you want to share as far as takeaways that are meaningful for you. Oh, I think, like I said, this is, it's been to me a fabulous uh, career. I've been very lucky I think growing up in Las Vegas, uh, uh, when I did, was a great time. The ability of when I started in this business, um, at its, I truly believe, infancy um, from a brokerage standpoint, um, and being able to be associated with SIR, NAOP, at such a young age and such a young start of the organizations here, very lucky. Um, The fact that I get to work with these young people, and all of them are young, including Garrett, <laughs> to me, um, and that have kept me candidly in in the seat I'm in right now. And I mean that from literally, I'm sitting here today. Mm-hmm. Maybe without them, the last ten years, I would not be sitting here doing what I'm doing today. So I feel very. Where, where else would you possibly be? Um, I, on a yacht? No, <laughs> but 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 it just you know I, 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 again I, I feel good about that. I, mm-hmm. I might be doing something different. I don't know, but I, uh, I it, it, without their 
interaction without them bringing a new, a new way of doing things to the business. Because my way, as I've always said for 30 years, it's like, this is the way I do it. If you find something better, let's do it that way. Something more productive, et cetera. And candidly, the life that, that, uh, that people bring to uh, the table, meaning the younger perspective, Garrett brought that. Jake, Sean, mm-hmm. Kelsey brings it, etc. Because there are a lot of things th- that I have done for a long time, and I thought they were the right way, but they don't fit in today's world, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that teacher pers- becomes a student. How about right? That? Uh, the, exactly right. The perspective um, uh, they have through their eyes, they're sort of letting teaching me about that, and I think that helps. The other thing, candidly, is is I think from the perspective of each of those individuals, I want to explore this business by themselves. How do you mean? Uh, um, each one needs to build their own coalition, if you will. Kelsey needs to build her own set of coalitions of architects, engineers, etc. Okay. Uh, um, um, same thing with uh, Garrett has his own uh, a circle, if you will, mm-hmm. of 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 good contacts, good people, and I don't mean it in a, always a professional sense, but a personal professional sense. Yeah, um, that makes the the sum of the whole better than uh, mm-hmm. the parts there. Um, so, from that standpoint, that's to me the great part right now. Yeah, I wasn't going to ask this, but I'm going to ask yeah. it now because it kind of came up. Uh, you've been doing this 37 years, I think you said. It'll be 38 in May. Yeah. 38. And if it wasn't for you know the next generation that you brought onto your mm-hmm. team, maybe you, you're not doing this. But have you thought about what your legacy is or what will be? And how do you think about that if you have? Are you actively, intentionally pursuing something or not Not so much? Other than what I do day to day now? Yeah. No. No. Um, um, I, I've given all that time to this profession and to be what I think is the best um and i pride myself on that i don't know like you said at this point what i would be doing differently if tomorrow things just stopped uh and you know i don't play a lot of golf i don't you know mm-hmm. I, I like to ski um <laughs> but but uh, you know i don't know what that else that would be um i'm not saying there's a never uh, but i there's still i still got a lot of things that i like to do and again the biggest part is I enjoy going into the office and doing something different or in a different way every mm-hmm. day. And I get a little say in that as to what I get to do every day. Yeah. So it's a fascinating industry. Yeah, that is. I remember separately, I remember Mike DeLue was on a panel once at a SIR national conference and he made a comment that I thought was funny. I thought about it. He's like, he was ladies and gentlemen, like, do you know how lucky we are? It's like, we make doctor money. <laughs> I remember he said that. It always cracked me up. Very lucky. Very lucky. Um, ending question. So yeah. here we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, as we're talking, there's turbulence in the market that we haven't really seen in the last probably 10 years. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give a new agent for this next year? Um, Besides show up. You already said that. No, no, no. With you. I, I think the good part of a new agent is they don't know what they don't know. So they have no expectations, so to speak, of how good it has been over the last seven years, right? Um, uh, but 
the expectation should be, again, set goals. Don't think it's going to all come at once. Don't think the real estate's a panacea. Um, align yourself with a couple mentors or uh, that you think in different industries. Um, get involved. Get involved. And look out three years, five years. Don't give up about you know the next year or two because they will be a little bit rocky, um, uh, I believe, uh, and changing. Uh, not only that, but just changing environment. We are growing as a, uh, as a industrial community, my standpoint. Um, that's what I tell the, the new people. What would you say to a senior established agent? I would say be flexible. Um, uh, I think one thing that I've learned in the numerous ups and downs that we've had is, uh, one, don't think this will last forever. We have cycles. Two, don't spend all your money. <laughs> Too many people did back in the last one. Um, three, um, look out again. I know I say this, but look out again and say, am I, am what I doing today? Does that fit with what might be coming in the next year or two? Do I have to change my approach to the business? Um, I, I, especially if you're someone who's set in their ways, again, take a, take a year end look and do some inventory on how you do business what does it mean? What could change? And how you would adapt to that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun for me. No, appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.